Hello and welcome to 444 Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, John Paulson, and this is the 11th and final installment, bonus installment of the 2017 Drafts Strategy Series. Uh, today's guest, you'll know him uh, from harrisfootball.com. You can find him on Twitter at harrisfootball. His 2017 player profile almanac is available now, 230 plus player profiles, film grades on all the players, key metrics, uh, and stat analysis, and plenty of snark, he says. <laughs> uh, Christopher Harris, thanks for being back, coming back on the pod. Well, I know you have certainly read it cover to cover, this this 200-page PDF, so you know uh, you know exactly how much snark there is. That's the kind of time John Paulson has just to go read my stupid thing, right? I actually, I, I memorized it cover to cover, so that's what's where I'm at right now. I'm looking forward to the uh, the update that will launch tonight. Is that correct? That's right. So we're talking on Thursday the 24th. So as of Friday morning, anybody who uh, it's, it's a PDF, like we used to go into drafts, whatever, like five, 10 years ago with actual print magazines. And uh, heaven knows I spent enough time writing those stupid print magazines at ESPN for eight years. And uh, they were always frustrating to make because, what, you write them in March, right? And and they come out in June. I remember the year we had Aaron Hernandez's picture in there, like, you know, a little behind the times, maybe. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's, it's... So much changes in those magazines, too. And it's, it's such a different world now with the, with the website and everything. Right. And it's it's easy, easier for you to keep up, up to date, but it's a lot of work, right, to update everything? That's right. So it's a PDF, right? So when people order, they get it just emailed to them right directly. And then the, the, the shtick is basically, okay, I'll, you know, buy it August 1st, but then I will rewrite it when it needs to be rewritten on August 14th. I actually track changes. So you can actually see like the four, August 14th changes are in red. And then these are going to be the August 25th changes. This is it. It's out of my hands after this one. And those, it'll be like in blue. So you can flip through if you've already read it. And like, so anybody who's listening who bought it, and who didn't get it, didn't get the update on the 25th, email us, almanac at harrisfootball.com, but everybody else, uh, yeah, you might dig it. It's fun. Uh, I think it's a, a good alternate perspective. There's always room for more. I know there's 4 for 4 has awesome dra- draft stuff too, and I love partaking of it, so I would never say one replaces the other, but uh, I, I'm going to guess I have more like stupid jokes in mind than 4 for 4, four, four does. <laughs> well, it's always good to get different perspectives on, on players, and there's going to be some players that we agree on and some that we don't and we're going to talk about a few of those players today as sort of a preview um so let's you know what i've been doing here is just having my favorite analysts on and having them uh basically take the floor uh position by position and kind of give their general thoughts uh of how the position is shaking up i'll ask you a couple questions and then we can get into your targets and sleepers if you have any uh so let's start with the quarterback position um are you a late round quarterback guy if not uh, what do you do? What else are you doing with it? And uh, what's your general thoughts on the position? It seems like it's pretty deep this year. Sure, it's deep. It's it's always deep. I mean, I'm in a redraft league, um, you're always going to find solutions if you wait, and you're always going to feel like you're pretty happy if you got one of the stars because you know generally the stars are a little safer than at other positions. The thing I'm going to throw this back on you. I'm such a I'm such a hosted heart. I have curious about what you're and you're going to be on my show next week. I think, but um. Like, so I get to the third round, maybe even sometimes the second, like second, third, fourth rounds of drafts. And I know I'm supposed to go running back wide receiver somewhere in that. You know, I know that's the right thing to do. And they all make me want to throw up because none of them, there are awesome values in the sixth round. Oh my God. I love that. If I could pick like 10 times in the sixth round, it'd be the greatest thing in the world. But picking team, picking the third round receiver that I have to take or the third round running back, I'm like, Ooh, this guy isn't that much better than the one I could take in the sixth. So maybe I should just take a quarterback. Maybe I should, if Rogers is sitting there in the early third round, like maybe I should just go ahead and do it. I don't tend to do it, but this, this year of all years, I kind of do feel like there's some logic to it. How about you? I would agree because this has been a running theme when in this uh, draft strategy series is that there does seem to be different analysts sort of put the hole or the the swoon in talent at different parts uh, of the draft but it's pretty much been late second into the late third where you're and I'm in the same boat where you're looking at your options and you're like this does not feel like a third round running back to me or a third round receiver to me and then you're comparing him to somebody that you can have two or three or four rounds later, and it doesn't seem like that disparity there 
and talent is, is actually there to justify the pick. Um, but at the same time, quarterback is really deep and there's, you know, 16 or 17 guys that'd be comfortable starting. And it does make a lot of sense to wait for a, a Matthew Stafford or an Andy Dalton, who we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, you know, in the 11th round or something and just add that to five receivers and five running backs or, you know, maybe a tight end in there. And you've got a really strong lineup. But on the flip side, you kind of want to be excited about your third round pick. So, or fourth round pick. And so like, I like Tom Brady. I have, I have Tom Brady ranked ahead of uh, Aaron Rodgers. So I, you know, he's been going in the MFL 10s. He's Brady's been going in the fourth round for the most part. And so I would kind of wait for that. But at the same time in the third round, I'm like, who do I take? Um, but you could do the same thing. You could flip it and take Brady or Rogers in the third round and then move back to your wide receiver, um, or running back. So do you, you say you don't do it often, but you have done it. And would you recommend it to listeners out there if they're just sort of feeling ambiguous or apathetic about their third round pick and just grab a top two quarterback position? I don't, I think you can make anything work. That's the the bottom line with all this stuff is like out, outside of outlandish, ridiculous. I'm gonna take my kicker in the third round. Like you, you can make anything work, and I think you can make that work this year. I do, and I also think probably like the wise guy industry drafts that you and I do, and the and even MFL, MFL tens, which tend to be more on the wise and upside of things. Compare that to the typical home league. The typical listener is going to be you know participating in quarterbacks aren't going to last as long right so you're probably almost not even going to have that decision in some leagues there's there gonna be plenty of leagues where rogers goes in the second round and to be honest like late second round i i'm okay with that too or brady like i'm okay i i'm not gonna i'm never gonna do that there does come a point where i go so far down the list of top 200 or whatever that i do take the quarterback but uh my guess is that a lot of folks won't have that happen but so like no my overall advice is still like hold your nose and take Lamar Miller or something because I you know just I know it doesn't feel great but you're going to get Matthew Stafford so it's going to be fine um but I do think you can make anything work and this is a year where I won't be surprised if you can make that having one of those top two quarterbacks work pretty well and you you bring up a good point because in the home in the home leagues there they tend to go quarterback heavier earlier there might be everybody might have their starter by the sixth or seventh round, and on top of that, in, in less I guess sharp leagues, uh, owners are going to be taking a backup quarterback as well. Whereas in our you know if we're doing a managed league, twelve teamer, we may not have a backup quarterback on the roster because we know that we can go to the waiver wire and get something there. But in a, in a home league, uh, twenty four you know twenty two quarterbacks might be taken, and then if you're really waiting on quarterback, you might be ending up you know, with somebody in that range uh, as your starter and you don't necessarily want that. And that, that, you know, reduces the op- opportunity cost of taking a top two quarterback in the third round or whatever. So, um, that's good. To, that's good discussion and a good point because I, you know, we're, I think I get so jaded by the, the leagues I'm in, uh, that, uh, I, I start thinking that everything is all the ADP is just as sharp as, as, as what, what I'm in. And that's not always, not always the case. So, um, how about Andy Dalton? We talked about him a little bit before. I looked at your rankings uh, just to get some ideas for what to talk about today. And you have him at 20, and I have him significantly higher at 11. Uh, I know the offensive line is a concern, and um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the weapons there. Uh, he's been great with A.J. Green healthy, and um, hopefully that uh, continues in terms of A.J. Green's health. Uh, added John Ross. Uh, so what? Uh, why would you rank him so low? You're basically going to not get him at all if you if you rank him at 20. What uh, What are your concerns about Dalton this year? Uh, my concerns about Dalton are not this year specific. <laughs> They're just that Andy Dalton stinks. Um, and so there definitely are super productive moments with AJ Green where Green is rescuing him. And I guess, I guess you can say, all right, well, give me a healthy AJ Green and then have the, have that dynamic between them continue to be the dynamic between them where Andy Dalton kind of throws up wayward passes and AJ Green goes and gets them and, who cares? Who cares how it happened? Andy Dalton still gets fantasy points, and that's all I care about. Uh, and that that has been true, but I just I want the quarterback who's driving the bus. I don't want the quarterback who has to be saved by someone, and not least of which, the reason that he's bad when Green's not in there is because he's not good, and when he doesn't have someone saving him, he sort of can't be saved from himself. So I 
I just sort of want good players and, and I find that there's so many quarterbacks that I don't need to take one who I don't think is a good player. Uh, it's just too easy to, well, I, I'll say this on, so, you know, I'm a film watcher it's too easy to confuse Dalton, especially when he's throwing it, not on rhythm, not on a three or five step drop, step drop. He's almost like two different quarterbacks on film. If you, if you get him in rhythm, if you get him on the three and five step drops, he's good. He's accurate. He's decisive. He mostly doesn't make mistakes. He'll throw the ball away. When he's on the seven step drop, when he's on the deeper pass pattern, when he looks off his first route, he's a disaster. He's a mess. He he has a hard time telling man from zone. He will throw to AJ Green when he's triple covered. Like he just does things that are ill advised. He just doesn't have a strong arm, and so doesn't wind up. Uh, I think he sort of has Brett Favre's brain, but like, I don't know, you know, pop gun arm. And so he thinks, oh yeah, but it's the Ryan Fitzpatrick syndrome. You know, I'm going to just, I'm going to throw it through that window 17 yard out. And it's just, it rarely works unless it's a jump ball to edge green that he goes and gets. You're absolutely right. I've seen him. I mean, he was the number 12 quarterback in fantasy last year. I've seen him be fine. For me, it's this, it's a lesser argument, but it's the same argument as Blake Bortles where I just, I, 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 to some extent, don't care what the numbers say, because for me, week to week, disaster always lurks. Um, and I, I can just find a lot of other quarterbacks who I trust more. All of this is which to say there are many ways to bake a cake, and I don't begrudge somebody taking the position that says, eh, quarterback's not scarce. I'll take Dalton for as long as AJ Green's there. The minute AJ Green's not there, pff, I'll just find someone else. I'm cool with that, too. I get it. Okay, so uh, anti anti Dalton, I think it's fair to say that you're anti Dalton. How about uh, a couple guys, a few guys going uh, around where he's going and after uh, Matthew Stafford? You have in your top ten. I'm a fan of his as well. He's been growing me in this off season to the point where I've got him in the top ten as well. He's going 14th off the board. Dak Prescott, 13th off the board. You've got him, I believe, in your top ten as well. And then. Um, Maybe lastly, talk about Carson Palmer because you have him ranked 16th and he's a, you know, he's an interesting player, uh, given his early season schedule and then the way he played down the stretch last year, which was significantly better from a touchdowns per game standpoint than the first half of the season. So maybe you could touch on those three players, uh, as alternatives to, to sure Stafford would, would be the one I would choose. He just feels really safe. Like I, I get that if people want to take um, Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston as a top 10 fantasy quarterback, I mean, Mariota, I can't even believe it. I like Mariota a lot as a, as a pro, as a player. I guess I'm going to call him a prospect, but uh, like Winston's going maybe seventh and Mariota's going like ninth or something among quarterbacks. Woo. I mean, I get it. Those are sort of aspirational picks that maybe picking them is the same logic behind picking Dalton like why not just draft a quarterback at as though their best case is going to happen because if it doesn't who cares I'm out I'll just find someone else and that's that's cool I think they have probably in that way have a higher upside than Matthew Stafford does uh, Matthew Stafford's not going to finish as a top three quarterback if they're running the same offense as they ran the past two two seasons uh, but I also don't think there's almost any way he finishes outside the top 10 because the interceptions are gone because it's a very, very conservative offense. He just dumping it off. So, and it's nice to know that your dump off quarterback also has maybe the biggest arm in the league. <laughs> it's kind of good. <laughs> so like at, at, at times he'll actually make a throw where there's a touchdown to Anquan Bolden that I read about in the almanac last year. It's like no one else in the league makes that throw. Uh, so he just feels real safe to me. That's, that's the explanation for that one with Prescott. Uh, no one's going to throw two, three, four interceptions again like that. He's not Tom Brady for heaven's sake. Uh, and maybe he doesn't run for quite as many touchdowns and maybe things come down that way, but I think he's awfully good. And I love the offense, even without Zeke Elliott, as much as I think Zeke is a really good player, the line is great. Um, watching Darren McFadden in the preseason, f having like five yards before anybody touches him and realizing, Oh wait, that's Darren McFadden. You know, he's, he's not good and nobody, nobody's getting near him. Uh, just, it's so safe when the, when the quarterback doesn't have to worry about the pass rush that much. And, uh, so I, I just, I guess I feel like I trust Prescott in that offense and thought he was pretty advanced for a rookie last year in terms of, uh, sort of reading, reading defenses and concepts as the season went along. But you're right, Palmer, that's a, that's a tough call. That's pretty mean to Andy Dalton. Um, I don't know that I necessarily 
care about the way he finished the season because remembering a couple, what a couple of those games looked like. Yeah. I mean, touchdowns come and go when you have David Johnson, probably passing touchdowns are, aren't the plan a lot of the time. So I, I think he played sort of, I think Palmer played sort of the same all year. And the first half of the year, he probably played better than the team's record and then his stats looked like. And then maybe in the second half of the year, maybe he played a little worse and the team was a little worse than the, you know what I mean? Like he's, he's Carson Palmer. He's a truth in advertising. Take away two years ago where he was mistake free for until the NFC championship game, basically. Uh, it strikes me that Carson Palmer is kind of going to do that thing where he'll be fine. He'll be good and make a bunch of good throws, but you know, almost every game there's something lurking where he's going to big make a big mistake. Um, I, I don't trust him all that much. I, I put him in that category with Dalton where, yeah, if you told me Dalton should go ahead of Palmer, I, I'd be okay with that. Okay. Let's, uh, is there anybody else at the quarterback position you'd like to highlight in terms of a good value this I, year? I wonder like where that? you, I don't know about a good value. I'm just sort of, you know, we're talking the night before the, the day before the night of Cam Newton's preseason debut and the dress rehearsal for the Panthers on Thursday night. I, I wonder where you are on Newton because as a thrower, I just don't like him enough and have enough questions about whether he's going to run. Like I can't say for sure. I know he's not going to run, but I have enough questions to say, Ugh, if I'm relying on him, to get me fantasy points just with his arm, knowing how inaccurate he can be and how maybe sometimes crazy chances he takes. Like, ooh, that doesn't sound that good to me. Where do you come down on Newton? Well, I have him at six, but I'm looking at the fantasy points uh, projected, and he's tied in a three-way tie with Matt Ryan and Ben Roethlisberger, and Kirk Cousins is four points below. Stafford's five points below. So. You know, it's a mush. if he comes out and doesn't look, yeah, it's really a mush. And I'm not ending up with hardly any cam unless he really falls into the tenth, ninth, tenth round, and then I then I roll the dice on him. Uh, but I am a little bit concerned about the, uh, you know, the request that he run the ball less because he gets so much of his fantasy value from that, especially if the if the passing game is not is not going very well. Yep, I'm with you. I mean, he's outside my top ten. But for exactly those reasons, like I can, of course, see him. He was the number one quarterback last year. Everybody had him number one. I did. Everyone did. Of course we did. Um, Like you can see a bounce back 100%. So you talk about value. Like if we're going to draft Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota at the peak of their value and then just not worry, not worry about it and find someone else if they're if they're not delivering, then I guess you could make the same argument for Cam. Yeah, Cam's got a nice opening schedule. He's got the 49ers, Bills, New Orleans, uh, Patriots, and, and the, the Lions. So no, uh, foreboding matchups to start the season. We'll see how he, we'll see how he fares early on. How about the running back position? Any general thoughts about it? Uh, it's gross. Super, super gross. And if, if we could maybe invent, you and I may get together and like invent fantasy football with no running backs, I think we'd make a million dollars. Do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird year. There's, there's two um, of them. I mean, there's two. There's two of them. That's for sure. <laughs> I can tell you that much. Yeah. There are and two. then, and then, I'd rather not draft any of them if I could avoid it. Um, maybe like I have Lashawn McCoy three, and that scares the heck out of me. I have Melvin Gordon four, and I was all aboard Melvin Gordon. I owned him in every league last year. I I believed thoroughly that the tape was much, much better than the stats were from the rookie year with the no touchdowns and the low yards per carry and all those things. And it turned out good, but of course he could touchdown regress. And I have DeMarco Murray five, and that makes me sick because, I mean, he's not even playing in the preseason and he's, he's apparent. what is he, like a human AKG? Like, I'm good, I'm terrible, I'm good. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he's had three good offensive lines, three straight years on three different teams. Why wasn't he good with Philadelphia? I don't understand. So anyway, it gets gross fast and... And it really gets gross by the time I get to nine, ten, eleven. Like it's, I, I would never typically have rookies rated where I have them as clear, very exciting, like high level RB twos. I would never do that. I don't like doing that. But I just run out of guys so fast that yeah, I, it's a it's a crazy position this year. All right, well, let's talk about those rookie running backs uh, a little bit. Um, you have. Uh, looking at your rankings, I have in a standard league. I have Fournette, then McCaffrey, then Mixon, then Cook, and in a PPR, still those are really close. Those might be back to back to back to back. And then in a PPR, it's more McCaffrey, Mixon, Cook, Fournette, probably. Um, and and I actually so I did a on my show. I did a, a bust list, 
And bust is always like such a, what's a bust exactly? But like I put Fournette on the bust list, especially in a PPR league, because I don't know. I see how high he's going. He's going as an RB1 now in standard leagues and close to that in PPR. And so, okay, there's the foot issue, which we could say, oh, that's or ankle, right? We could say that's nothing except for it's the same thing. He's been bothering him for a year. So that's not good. And I mean, who's the quarterback? I guess if it's Chad Henney, I don't think that's very good. And I don't think he's going to catch it all that much. As much as I like him as a prospect, uh, I'm I'm sort of never going to pay the price that it takes to get Fournette right now. I I would rather own I, at the price that I can get them. I'd rather own Mixon because he's going fourth of that group, and um, I, I just don't see a huge difference in in the range of possible outcomes. There's a difference in them as prospects, but in terms of the range of possible outcomes, like probably Mixon has almost the upside that Fournette has, close to it. And and probably as scary a downside, because you said it earlier, the Cincinnati offensive line has real question marks because they let a couple of expensive guys walk. But, I mean, it doesn't have any more question marks than Jacksonville, who is going to be starting a rookie left tackle. So the safest of the group is probably McCaffrey. Uh, and yet Jonathan Stewart's there and you can see a world where the touchdowns don't come. It's hard to predict touchdowns. Uh I kind of feel the same way about Dalvin Cook. Like, honestly, I think Jonathan Stewart, uh, Latavius Murray, and Jeremy Hill all deserve to be drafted four or five rounds earlier than they're going. Not because I think doom is ahead for the rookies, but because I'm trying to judge sort of the range of possible outcomes for everybody. And I think all three of those veterans probably stay involved and score at least score you some touchdowns, if not sort of take over at some point for an overwhelmed rookie certainly none of them are fantasy starters but i they view i view them as as sort of like let's just take them and take one of them I'm not gonna take all of them but let's take one of them and just sort of stick them in the bank and then see what happens with the kid yeah i'm looking at the adp mfl 10s and fournette's going pick 24 mccaffrey 29 uh cook has surged upward he's now going uh, pick 32 and joe mixon's going 38 so we have three of the four going in that third round that we've been talking about. And maybe that's part of the reason why we're feeling a little bit uneasy about it. Because, uh, I mean, of the, of these four, I think Fournette has the clearest path to a big workload, but he's also on a, a bad team. Um, he's got a foot injury that, you know, he had some foot injuries in, uh, college as well. Uh, you know, he, you would think that he could be the third, three down back there, but, um, I guess we'll see. Uh, McCaffrey dealing with Stewart, Dalvin Cook uh, looking good, but dealing with Latavius Murray, uh, Jarek McKinnon, and then Mixon obviously has Giovanni Bernard and uh, Jeremy Hill there. So uh, I think this is a source of some of the uneasiness uh, for us in the third. And in the third, and round. I'll just say also like in I'm looking at fantasy football calculator, maybe a little less wise guy ranking, right? A little more common man is in there, and Fournette's a top twenty overall player in standard. He's going nineteen. So now you're taking him in the middle of your second round. And that's honestly, that's sort of why he wound up on my bust list, even though I don't think he's a bad player. I don't think he's a like a bust like, oh, you stink. Like, what are you thinking? I, and, and and like Fournette's going like f- last pick in the second, first pick in the third in a PPR. Wow, that's that's pricey. He's going ahead of Dalvin Cook in a PPR. And Mixon is is early early mid fourth in a PPR and uh, Mixon can catch it I've seen Mixon catch it in college I haven't seen Fournette have to catch it all that much in college granted that not all PPR value comes from receptions but if you're going to toggle these guys one way or another you know Fournette is getting the market is punishing Fournette a little bit in a in a PPR but not in my mind enough and they're not really giving Mixon any benefit of the doubt at all I guess under the assumption that Bernard catches all the passes I just don't know that I would make that assumption all right, so you let's talk about Ezekiel Elliott. You have him at, uh, at 16 in both sets of rankings. I don't think – I think I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. You're He's going in the middle of the second round right now. There are fantasy analysts that are advocating for this uh, because he's, he's worth so much at the end of the season. Uh, draft him in the second, maybe – grab uh, Darren McFadden there in the eighth or probably not the eighth round, probably more like the ninth or 10th round. Um, what would you do this? And what are the downsides? Uh, if, if you're not going to do, I mean, if you, if you are going to do it, what are the downsides? And then is, is this a, is this a viable plan that you would recommend? So the answer is, 
I don't have an answer. I mean, there's one variable that we can't even get into, which is the possibility that he doesn't miss the first seven games of your fantasy season, right? There's some injunction that happens after you draft, which I don't even know how to factor that in. And then there are all the risk factors that we can talk about. Like what could go wrong is, uh, let's say the Cowboys just sort of, I mean, maybe it was a magic carpet ride last year and it's just not the same this year and Prescott isn't as good and someone on the line gets hurt and it's just not the situation that Elliot thought he was going to get when he came back or we thought he was going to get when he came back in week eight. There's a possibility that it's going so well and that McFadden's the MVP of the league <laughs> by week eight that you can't, you can't get rid of him and Elliot doesn't play as much as you hope if you're going to take him in the mid-second and hope. And I think there's also the potential that maybe McFadden isn't the pure handcuff, that maybe uh, Alfred Morris is involved and that would really be a problem because now if there isn't a clear solution in Dallas through the rest of the way... And then there's just the question of, uh, you mentioned Darren McFadden's ADP, and in on Fantasy Football Calculator, if we're going to accept that as being more representative of the, the fantasy hoi polloi, he's going, like, first pick in the seventh round in standard leagues. So that's starting to be a pretty big investment. Like, uh-oh, if I'm going to get him, I might have to spend a sixth rounder on him. And, like, what if you're worried someone in your league is about to get clever and decide, you know what, I'll... My running back situation is shaky. I'll take the potential number one running back in fantasy the first six weeks of the season in the sixth round. So now I'm now I've taken Zeke in the second and now I'm stressing out that I have to take McFadden in the fifth. Like probably you're not going to do that. But I think, you know, you can make the case, even though I said earlier about Morris, like you can make the case that you are hosed if you don't get McFadden, if you're the Elliott owner. So now it feels like you're reaching maybe into the sixth. I, I would be Put it this way, John, like there are a lot of ways to win a fantasy league. I think there are ways to win a fantasy league, even if you don't own both Le'Veon Bell and Dave and uh, Zeke Elliott. And I might just be interested in exploring those. And I get it, though. Like, I can't I can't turn up my nose at the at the possibility of do of trying to do that, of trying to get like an unbeatable tandem for the for your fantasy playoffs. Of course, I understand what the upside is. This maybe just comes down to being too conservative. I don't think I can play it that way. All right, let's talk a little bit about the, the Patriots running back situation. This is one of the more muddled ones in the in the league. And Mike Gillisley uh, is going to pick 74. He just returned to practice after sitting out a couple of weeks with a hamstring injury. Uh, James White's going to pick 118. Rex Burkhead is trending upwards now. He's going in the uh, 11th round, pick 124 after a nice preseason game. But he missed uh, Wednesday practice for undisclosed reasons. So he might have an injury that he's dealing with. And Dion Lewis, who was once the, the, the top pick in this uh, backfield, uh, a couple of years ago is now going pick 166. How do you think this shakes out this year? I would be lying if I said I knew, but I think that's a good indication that you shouldn't be investing heavily in Mike Gillisley. Um, you know, he's as of two weeks ago, he was going early fourth. You know, it's like, I, and at that time I was like, the, he and he's on my bust list also. He's someone who I, I'm just not going to own at the price of right now. He's like 504 I think in the on the market in standard league so like you know early mid fifth round just too rich for my blood because he okay so like let's connect the dots like okay he was a goal line converter last year in Buffalo it fits what he is he's a bigger guy and is sort of a straightforward slasher he's not really a cutter he's not elusive he's not long speed fast um and so if the Patriots decide okay that's your role that's what you're going to do well better than even chance that there's a lot of that kind of work for him. But that's a big if. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I saw Burkhead do it a couple times for the Bengals at the end of last year. He's not that much smaller than Gillisley, and he too, he, he's sort of slow, but has a little bit of elusiveness to him and can be a physical player if he needs to be. And I think Deion Lewis between the tackles is okay too, even though he might not make the team. To me, it just feels like I don't know, Mike Reese made hay by calling it sort of a, a depth chart-less situation where there's just not going to be a depth chart. It's going to work week to week and there's not going to be a lot of rhyme or reason. That, you know, it, it probably won't be that complicated. It won't be, you know, chaos is a ladder. It won't be quite that uh, chaotic. But I don't think it's going to be as simple as saying, ooh, cool, LeGarrette Blunt, 18 touchdowns. Here you go, Mike Gillisley. 
you know, I think people look at Gillisley's yards per carry from last year and they go, ooh, like only about 100 carries, but eight or nine touchdowns and a really high yards per carry. This is a situation where he, he's a better player than LeGarrette Blunt. He's going to break out. And I just caution people about yards per carry because having watched the five or six runs, long runs that gave him the high yards per carry, uh, it just wasn't about him. It was about the 49ers not wanting to tackle him. It was about the Dolphins kind of making mistakes on defense. They aren't plays that are all that repeatable. He's kind of just another guy. He's a better player than like Eric Blunt, but he's sort of just another guy. And to my mind, it's going to be a, a big mixed bag. Yeah, I can. I, I'm thinking that this could play out a couple different ways. Uh, if they, if the Patriots revert to what they have been doing, where they have the big back and they have the passing down back, and they end up picking a guy for those roles, uh, right now the it appears that Gillisley and White would be the favorites according to ADP, but but Burkhead is trending up, and if you want to grab both, you could potentially if you're going late sixth round. He's going early seventh now, Gillisley and PPR. Uh, in the sh- sharper ADP at MFL 10s, but this tends to be very responsive uh, to things that are going on in the preseason, uh, which is why Burkhead's now going in the 11th round. I think fans football calculator, he might be going later. It would be my guess, but maybe I'm wrong uh, there. But if you grab both, you have the, you should have the big back for the Patriots. And if one emerges, you sh- you know, you're in good shape. But what if there is no depth chart and they, they have four really good talented backs there and they rotate them in and out of the game uh, and they don't do what they've done the last few years because they have so much depth at the, at the position. Then you have a real headache where you don't know who to start in any given week. Uh, you're, you're trying to guess and get inside Bill Belichick's head uh, to figure out what the game plan is against a certain team and whether it's a Burkhead game or a Gillisley game. I think it was fairly simple when it was a blunt game or a James White slash Deion Lewis game because you could look at the defense and say, okay, this is an elite rush defense. They're not going to run LeGarrette Blunt up the middle uh, 20 times this game. They're going to try to spread them out and use the the, the backs as, as receivers instead. Uh, but if you're getting to a point where you have to try to decide between two of the big backs – and which is it a Burkhead game or is it a Gillis game or is it a James White game or is it a Deion Lewis game? That gets a lot tougher. Yeah, thoroughly agree. Uh, the Burkhead's too low, Gillis too high, and and we have such short memories. We're like you know, we're like little babies with keys dangling in front of our faces. Like we can't remember two years ago. I mean, Legarrette Blunt had seven touchdowns. Everybody hated Legarrette Blunt going in last year, being quote unquote the big back in the Patriots offense. It was it was potentially alluring, but it didn't automatically lock you into being a fantasy starter because nobody ranked LeGarrette Blunt as a fantasy starter last year. So uh, just, I think, trying to see the long view. And there have been plenty of seasons where suddenly it's Jonas Gray, and then it's Stephen Ridley, and then it's uh, Shane Vereen. And there, there have been lots of years where it's been a jumble. All right, I want to ask you about another situation that I've been sort of wrestling with on my on my end. And uh, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Doug Martin. Um, he's going at the end of the sixth round, early seventh round, MFL tens, um, and reportedly looks great, uh, you know, in shorts and stuff in OTAs. Uh, camp reports have been good with him. Uh, I saw the uh, a Hard Knocks episode where he was talking about how he has uh, gotten help with whatever issue he was having. I'm not sure what he was doing, uh, but he's serving that three-game suspension for uh, – uh, drug use or you know, violating the drug policy. So it, I would assume it had something to do with that. Um, it sounds like he's cleaning up his life and is looking uh, like his old self. Do you buy it? Is he worth a, a pick in the sixth, seventh round uh, with Jaquiz Rogers there, uh, you know, in the 11th or 12th round as a, as a stopgap for the first three weeks? Well, he's going in the fifth round in, in a lot of the ADPs that I see. And to me that I would be much more interested in the sixth or the seventh. Cause again, you're, it's a lot of risk. It's a lot of, uh, he's one of my favorite players. I always have rated him too high. And the suspension is almost like the blessing that lets you go, okay, well, I can let go a little bit. Cause it's tough. It's tough to say uh, that I can definitely win the games without him because I don't know that I believe Jaquiz Rogers is a one to one definite replacement those first few games. And frankly, if he is, if he's great, if Rogers is terrific those first three games. I could be messed up on the other end when Martin comes back and gets eased in. Oh, I can just see the headlines. So week four, Martin eased in with seven carries. Week five, Roger's still hot, so Martin sits. You know, like, I don't want any of that stuff either. It, so the fifth round sounds a little rich to me, but if you're going to tell me I can get, I can go sixth or seventh, I'm starting to get more interested because he has been one of my favorite players for almost as long as he's been in the league. I 
just on the field, I love him. He's that combination of one of the quickest backs in the league, has a really good long speed, and for his size, which isn't, he's not tiny or whatever, but he's a lot like Ray Rice. You know, he will run you over too. Uh, just, we've seen him be as recently as two years ago, be the number three running back in fantasy, but three of the last four years, he's been hurt, and that's another thing thing that maybe if someone's going to consider him a fifth round pick on a three game suspension, they're forgetting that just as early as recently as last year, hamstring knocks him out of usefulness for a long time. And then three years ago and four years ago, we thought he'd be great. He was hurt both of those years. I'm going to guess that at the price that he's going sort of in your home draft, as much as I like him, I'm probably staying away. All right, let's talk about the wide receiver position in, uh, in general. What are your thoughts about it? Uh, do you feel like it's uh, top-heavy? you think there's lots of depth? Uh, how are you approaching it this year? Well, yeah, an unbelievable amount of depth, that's for sure. I think where we're getting tripped up is that between like 10 and 40 or 10 and 50, you want to have more separation than there actually is. You know, I have a hard time. I remember starting my ranks of, uh, I, so I did I did some ranks right after the draft in May, and that was sort of the beginning of doing of doing ranks for me after the draft. And I remember thinking, oh my God, there's no one here who's wide receiver eight. I don't like any of them, but I have 15 guys who could be wide receiver 20. And unfortunately, you don't get to do it that way. It's not like building a building where you can skip the 13th floor, like you kind of have to just keep ranking players. So the idea that, oh, am I really putting DeAndre Hopkins back in my top 20 after last year? Am I really thinking about putting Allen Robinson back in my top 20 after last year? And in the end, they both are, uh, but I don't like it. So this is kind of that uncanny valley that I talked about earlier uh, when we started talking about quarterbacks, where once I get to the middle, late second, all the way through the third, maybe even halfway through the fourth, I don't love any of my options at receiver either because i think to myself i can get a guy like just as much in the eighth round but i think in in that case you just sort of you sort of bite the bullet and you say all right well i'm gonna take a receiver in the third that i don't think is great value but and maybe he's similar to the guy that i'm gonna take in the eighth but that's okay i'll take the guy in the eighth too and i'll have all my bases covered so i'm gonna ask you about a few a few uh players relative to your rankings and this first situation is 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 interesting because it's kind of being underplayed a little bit, which is Andrew Luck's shoulder and its effect on uh, T.Y. Hilton and whether or not, as a ranker, how much you're going to discount Hilton. Because Hilton was up in my top eight, I think, uh, prior to all this starting. And then once it looked like uh, Luck might miss a game or two, I had to reduce his projections, the team team's projections, and that, of course, hurt uh, T.Y. Hilton, moving him down a little bit. Uh, are you discounting him at all? Are you avoiding him at all in that second round now that uh, Luck has this uh, shoulder injury? I moved him down a little bit also. It was funny. I was doing an industry draft in New York a couple of weekends ago, and I picked. I had the one pick. So I picked Le'Veon Bell one. I mean, whatever. You could take Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson. That's fine. And I got around to – it's a two-quarterback league. Right? It's a super flex league. Got around to 24 and 25. And looked at my board and saw Hilton was my top receiver available. And I opened my mouth and I said, Des Bryant, Amari Cooper. And that's how I realized I had Taiwa Hilton too high because I didn't want to take him. But he's not. I didn't drop him too far. I dropped him a few spots Um, because there's a situation where it works out fine. Like, how many times do we have to go through the experience of having teams be coy with their injury rehabbing person because they just didn't feel like they needed to share? Like, I don't have to tell you that he's going to be fine week one, so I'm not going to. And then, you know, luck could come back and not only be fine, but if this was the thing that over the last 18 months, the shoulder was the thing that was really the problem with Andrew Luck insofar as he had a problem, it could be better. It could be better for T.Y. Hilton. Like, that has to be factored in, too. But I lowered him, and yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, if I get to the mid to late second round and Hilton's there i think about it for sure i i will take him i think he's really good and i am kind of going under the blind faith assumption that if luck is missing games it's a couple of games he's not on pup if he's on pup though this is you know having him anywhere near your top 10 receivers is too high and that's one of those uh second late second early third third round decisions that we've kind of been talking about and it's making it a little bit dicier because he was you know, the start of the draft season, he was a really solid pick. It looked looking like a really solid pick in the second round. He was going very close to the one, two turn. Uh, and now he's slipping into the late, late second round, maybe even the third round. Um, 
Yeah. How about uh, you have Julian Edelman uh, ahead of Brandon Cooks in PPR. Um, this is not this is not a common uh, ranking. So I would like to because uh, you watch the team closely. I'd like to know what you how you think this is going to shake out in the receiving core uh, up in New England. Well, I think Cooks um, winds up with the same season he's always wound up with. Which is, uh, you know, he goes from <laughs> what a Hall of Fame quarterback who likes to spread the ball around to everyone to a frustrating degree <laughs> to a Hall of Fame quarterback who likes to spread the ball around. Like, I, I don't expect anything different from Cooks. I, you know, Co- I love Cooks, and as a Patriot fan, love the acquisition, and am excited to see those four games where he goes bananas because he's always gonna. He's one. I think he's he belongs. I call it the Antonio Brown phylum. Like he belongs to that that species of wide receiver where, you know, 15, 20 years ago, he couldn't play outside. He got killed. It's too small. You know, just, if you could be physical with him, you know, if you could hit him in the head when he goes across the middle, like that wasn't where those players played. They had to play in the slot and he's quick enough to get off the line. You can't play press on Brandon cooks. He's terrific. Like Odell Beckham is part of that same group, but he is what he is. He's not a red zone player and he is going to have some games where the ball just doesn't find him, where the plan isn't to go deep, where defenses play a safety over the top, where the other stuff is open. And so, you know, Cooks has always to me been a little worse to own week to week than his cumulative numbers wind up looking because you get the booms and you get the busts. He's kind of a better version of Deshaun Jackson to me. And so, in a point perception league, I just, I don't, I think there's, you know, there's 600 passes to go around in New England. And I'm quite sure that Julian Edelman, if he's healthy, catches 90 of them because that's what he always does. Um, so I'll just say, it, if I'm going to say uh, Edelman is touchdown constrained, I think Cooks is also maybe a little less, but probably also touchdown constrained in an offense that has the other things that New England has. And therefore, you know, if I'm going to say that, all right, well, Cooks is more like a, you know, maybe 1,200 yard, 65 catch, seven touchdowns. And Edelman is like a 90 catch, 1,000 yards, five touchdowns. To me, that balances out to where Cooks winds up having that fun feast or famine standard league appeal. But Edelman maybe helps me more in PPR. Yeah, Cooks has been a tough guy for me to rank this offseason. And uh, it's just a mouths to feed there. But I mean, similar situation in... Uh, New Orleans, uh, but he did produce there as well. I just wonder his impact at the end of the year. I'm just really interested to see the impact on Edelman, on Gronkowski, uh, and the other receivers, uh, there as well, including James White. If you're expecting him to be the number one passing back, is his, is, are his targets down, uh, now because there's another mouth to feed, uh, in the passing game. But let me ask you about, uh, another sort of divisive player, uh, in the fantasy industry, he's not fully, I don't, we don't know what's going on. He's not fully cleared yet. Martavis Bryant, he is participating in preseason activities. He's able to play in preseason games. Uh, by most accounts, he's looking great um, and looking like his old self. Uh, what do you make of him? I, I know he's a, in my rankings, he he jumps a lot in standard uh, because he's a, a high touchdown guy. He's a high yards per catch guy. So he's a lot higher in my standard rankings than he is in my PPR rankings. You have him. Uh, higher and standard, but uh, maybe not the the spread that I have. Um, what do you think happens here? Is he is he ranked in your twenties or thirties because um, you're worried about the suspension, or is it? Is there other things that you're worried about with him? Uh, you know, so where do you have him? Like in your in your, in your combined ranks overall? I'm about where the market is, at least sort of the the fantasy football calculator market is. I, I have him he's yeah, top I mean, fifty player, but probably not 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 top forty. Okay, so I have him at 28 in PPR. I think he jumps into the teens uh, in in standard. And that, I think, if you look at uh, MFL 10 ADP, he's going, I think, 27th. So I'm I'm right there. Uh, you're fairly close. You're at 33 on him in PPR. So do you, you're probably not getting a lot of him in your drafts. Is that fair to say? I'm trying to think. I don't think I have. That's a good question. I don't think I've gotten him much, but I haven't felt like that. He isn't one of those receivers that have gone and I've been like, wow, that's two rounds too early. And that happens sometimes, but I haven't felt like he's gone. I don't, I don't think he's gone quite as high as, as you just described in too many of the industry drafts that I've done. Um, I have my civilian drafts coming up this weekend. So maybe I'll be surprised <laughs> by how, how high or high, how, how low he goes. 
Um, I'm not, you know, yes, there, you have to factor in the possibility that he needs a puff of something that he shouldn't be puffing and he's gone and it's never, he's never coming back. Like that is a risk. I wouldn't say that's a factor, hugely strong factor in my assessment of him. Uh, so the player whose skill, uh, you remember Chris Henry, the, the Bengals receiver, Yes, right. So the, the kid who unfortunately fell off a truck and died one off season, but in his day was one of those big, fast, doesn't really do anything other than be tall and run real fast. There's not a lot of route running. There's not a lot of savvy. There's not a lot of adjusting where you're going to run an option route like that's Martavis Bryant. He is really fast for how tall he is. And I think six times this year, he's going to make a 60 yard play down the sideline running a fly where if you get if if you don't have a safety coming over, it doesn't matter if he's covered. He's winning because uh, Roethlisberger's great at throwing that throw. N- another one where I imagine though the downsides are going to stink. Where in week where he doesn't make that play, you're going to be a little bit frustrated with him. That said, like I've said this a bunch on my show, and John, I wonder if you agree. Like because as I said earlier, you're, I look at from like ten to forty, and I go, I mean, they're all kind of the same. That it, it seems like. Any individual ranker, any individual listener who does their own ranks is going to look and say, wow, I think this guy's great value because I think he's wide receiver 21 and the market has him at wide receiver 40 and then vice versa. Like there are so many receivers that the one that you wind up taking in the sixth or the seventh round, you're going to be like, ha, steal. But everyone's going to have one of those because they're all kind of the same. And so fine, you know, the, the slight distinction that I make between martavis bryant and jameson crowder to you isn't a slight distinction but in the end there's sort of a whole bunch of really good receivers yeah i see your point there and if you have a plateau of players like that guys can move up and down those really easily especially if you're doing projections and you're just adjusting a quarterback or passing yards up or down by by a a little bit so um talk to me a little bit about the uh the tennessee wide receiver situation because this is one where i'm not uh completely clear on what's going to happen you have Corey davis the highest with eric decker and richard matthews um ranked below uh is that you know are you, are you looking at the rookie to, to lead that team in receiving well i certainly so i do the flag list the flag players that i used to do for espn for all those years i now do them on my show and spoiler alert uh cory davis is my number one flag player of the year which and the so flag player is a good thing. That means somebody I'm planting a flag on. And I'm doing it because I can't imagine finding someone with the kind of upside that Corey Davis has as low as I can get him. I can get him in the 10th round. And I can't say I mean, he's, he hasn't played yet, right? He's had a hamstring problem through most of August and they say he's going to play in the week three of the preseason. I'm looking forward to it, but I acknowledge that we could be looking at a Josh Doxson, Devonte Parker type situation and where they, they lose the whole training camp and they can never catch up and they just aren't a factor as rookies. And with Tennessee, you can really imagine that because you said it, they've got two veteran options, very professional receivers. They're not going anywhere. Like they're good. I think the market is valuing Eric Decker just fine. I think the market's too low on Richard Matthews. I would also take him. I, I have some leagues where I own both Matthews and Corey Davis because they're both so, so cheap. I mean, neither one of them's going in the first half of drafts. So I'm willing to scoop them up for cheap. And I think out of the one of them, I'm going to get something pretty valuable. But neither Decker nor Matthews offers the kind of number one potential that Corey Davis has. It kind of reminds me a little I was on Sig Bloom's podcast and we were both waxing rhapsodic about Corey Davis and I don't want to steal this cuz the Sig said this it reminded him of Michael Thomas last year where you go looking for all these reasons not to like the kid and to keep pushing the kid down and down and down even though you thought well he's ability wise really good and there's some draft capital in him and uh you know there, I can imagine a world where Michael Thomas becomes a number 1 fantasy receiver and a, certainly a number one NFL receiver. And if I'm going to compare where Corey, like the other receivers that are going around Corey Davis, Adam Thielen, Kenny Britt, Jordan Matthews, Marvin Jones, John Brown, Mike Wallace, like, no, none of those names can, can be what Corey Davis has the potential to be, not only because he was the number five pick in the draft, and not only because 
he's like the unicorn. He's like, you know, he played in the Mac. I didn't really see him play against great college players. He didn't work out. Like, it's not just because I'm like projecting greatness onto him. It's because he is legitimately big, fast runs routes uh, and is pretty vicious to the ball. I, I am a big fan. So even though it's not exactly the predicted order of finish, that I'm saying, oh, I guarantee it. Corey Davis is going to be the best receiver in Tennessee for fantasy. It's more like, given the value, I kind of can't stay away. Yeah, and Davis has been missing time in camp with, I think it was a hamstring injury. So his ADP has taken a hit. His ADP also took a hit when Decker was signed. Uh, I think before Decker was there, Davis was going sixth, seventh round, maybe earlier, depending. Um, he has a feeling like if, if everything had stayed the same, he had stayed healthy, no Decker, he might have gone in the fifth round and you can get to get him in the ninth or 10th. Now I do agree that that's a, a high upside pick, even if it's a muddled uh, passing game there in Tennessee, let's talk about the uh, tight end position. Um, I looked at your ranks and I was happy to see the black unicorn, Martellus Bennett at number five. Um, that is an aggressive ranking and I like it because uh, I, I, you know, I'm a Packer fan and I want to see him uh, post top five uh, tight end numbers. I think he's a, a really good talent. He's already building rapport with Aaron Rodgers. Um, can you make the case for him against a, ahead of somebody like Kyle Rudolph or uh, Tyler Eifert or some of these guys he might be going I behind? I absolutely can. Uh, I mean, Rudolph to me is Gary Barnage. Rudolph to me is just not a special player. He's fine. He he had a huge season because his targets went from 70-whatever to 120-whatever. And the reason his targets went up like that were because the – offense was completely dysfunctional get get the vikings even slightly functional and let's see what they do like if they can throw to some other receiver they might if they can throw to a running back they might my sense of kyle rudolph is he's probably an 80 target type player he's got great hands he's a big guy but he's not fast he doesn't really jump he's not he's just not, not a special athlete his great season for fantasy was put together with a bunch of dump offs. And uh, that's for me, that's what Gary Barnage did two years ago. And I am not going to own any Kyle Rudolph. So that's for me, an easy uh, comparison to make. Eifert is, is a harder comparison. No question. And probably if you could just guarantee me, Eifert would be healthy. I would probably rank Eifert ahead of Martellus Bennett. Eifert would, for me would be a top five fantasy tight end. And like we said with quarterback, I, mean, I think the way you treat tight end in fantasy probably should correspond with how you treat quarterback in fantasy, which is, yes, there are times in early rounds where it's cool. You think the value's too good on Jimmy Graham. You can't pass him up. Take him. That's fine. But I think the plan going in is usually I'm just going to wait. I can get 80% of Jimmy Graham somewhere in the 10th round. I'll take Zach Ertz or whatever, and I'll be fine. Or Martellus Bennett. Um, but the uh, so so. If the argument for some of those quarterbacks, the higher upside quarterbacks we were talking about was, what the heck, I'll draft them at the peak of their value and cut them if they don't perform to the peak of their value. You could make the same argument with Eifert, and that's maybe what some folks are doing by making him a top five tight end. But for me, it's just such a guarantee that he's going to get hurt that I almost just want to rank, rank him so that I don't have to play that game. Um, so instead of being negative about these other guys, let's be positive about Martellus Bennett. Woo! I'm with you. I mean... Like people are going to point statistically to Aaron Rodgers not having produced good fantasy tight ends lately, and all I'm going to say to that is like Richard Rodgers was the look like he hasn't had good ones. When Jared Cook qualifies as the good one, he hasn't had good ones. Uh, I really think with Martellus Bennett, you're going to get touchdowns. You're probably not going to get you know you're not going to get 80 catches, but I'm good with 60 and eight. You know if I get 60 catches and eight touchdowns, that's a top five tight end season and. What Bennett is slow, but he does everything else great. He's a crazy leaper. He's got fantastic hands. He's a really good pass pattern runner. And I can't guarantee you touchdowns because there's no guarantees with touchdowns. But I, I'm, I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers' good players. That's I'm good with that. Yeah, they the Packers throw I think more inside the five than any team out there. So Bennett is stepping into a, an offense that would he really is a good fit for because if he's got that leaping ability and the good hands, then, you know, Rogers is going to uh, look his way. And it's not like uh, the other receivers there. I mean, Devontae Adams has a lot of touchdowns. Jordy Nelson has a lot of touchdowns, but it's not because there are huge targets in the, in the red zone. It's uh, because uh, they're great route runners and they have a good uh, rapport with Aaron Rodgers, and he throws, you know, 35, 40 touchdowns every year. So they end up with a lot of touchdowns. I think uh, Bennett has a lot of upside. And, um, these, I was looking at, uh, you know, Jermichael Finley, Richard Rodgers, uh, you know, 
Jared Cook when he was healthy. These guys all posted between tight end eight, tight end 12 numbers, you know, with, with Rogers, especially in long stretches. And, and Richard Rogers is, is nowhere near as good as Martellus Bennett, in my humble opinion. So I, I do think that the, he has top five upside and I have him at eight right now in PPR behind uh, Graham, but he's only a point behind uh, uh, Tyler Eifert as well. And that's, uh, I have the same injury concerns as you do, but he's such a monster in the red zone as well. But I think Bennett could be that monster Me too. as well. It's, it's like, do you want to buy the guy you've you is pri- who is priced to do the best that he can do you know like Eifert is sort of priced in his best case scenario to me Bennett is not priced there's more risk in Bennett but he's not priced in his best case scenario so if I can wait and get him I'm going to do that so you are uh, one uh, a fantasy ranker that has Hunter Henry at number 9 and you have Antonio Gates at 21 and I'm not saying that this is wrong but I'm interested to hear your take on Gates, is this more about Gates um, kind of stepping aside and not playing as much, or is this uh, more about Hunter Henry's talent and him emerging really as a tight end one there in San Diego? I mean, Diego? I guess it's probably, it's probably I would have to be intellectually honest and say both. Like, plus it's not San Diego anymore, just we should probably. I think you live in Los Angeles, for oh, God's sake. did I say San Diego? <laughs> you live in Los Angeles, John. Oh, I'm also... I'm also I'm also a creature right. of habit, so I've been saying San Diego right. for years. So, Los Angeles Chargers of Anaheim um, are they are they going to turn the hand the keys over to Hunter? You wish Henry? they were Anaheim. You'd go see him every day. <laughs> yeah. um, I the answer is I don't know. I hope so. I mean, Antonio Gates can't run anymore, and it would be awesome if like week one they get him the touchdown record and then they say let's try to win games and the best way to do that is with Hunter Henry there's no question that if Hunter Henry doubters they have a lot of ammunition because Henry was good while Gates was out and kind of didn't play a lot when Gates was back and uh and if that happens this is a bad call and maybe it's super hypocritical because I go well, in Hunter Henry's case, I will draft him with the best intentions in mind of what his best case could be and and drop him if he doesn't turn out to be good. Uh, so I'm getting Hunter Henry in some drafts because I do tend to wait on quarterback and wait on tight end. Uh, I tell you, th- there's I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anybody who's filmed this summer rewatching a bunch of film on basically everybody. Uh, nobody's film surprised me more. Like nobody was better than my memory of him than Hunter Henry just like it wasn't a huge amount of usage of course the touchdowns are unrealistic for the number of catches that he had it's the mercedes lewis season all over again right but some of those catches like he can he can on the dead run he can bend and catch the low one he caught one late in the year behind his head with one hand he is uh just like People were right. You know, I, I last year, the NFL scouts were saying he's the most he's Jason Witten. He's the most complete NFL prospect, polished NFL tight end prospect that we've seen in a decade. And I didn't necessarily believe it. And that's why they get paid to do college scouting. And I most certainly do not, because I see it now. I see it on the NFL field. He is he's going to be a superstar. And. I feel really certain of that, that he at some point he is going soon is going to be a superstar, but the doubt comes in because Gates is there and it absolutely could work out. This isn't the year that he's a superstar. So what are you doing spending a mid round pick on him? I, I get that that that's the argument. And if someone doesn't want to own him for that reason, I tip my hat and I say, that's cool. Um, some Hunter Henry is somebody, I guess I'm willing to be early on. And then I'm going to ask you one, but one more, one more player and then we're going to wrap things up. But uh, another another second year tight end Austin Hooper, uh, you have him ranked 13th. His ADP is 14th. Uh, he had a touchdown catch in the Super Bowl and uh, started to play more uh, as the season sort of wore on there. Uh, watching the film of him, he, he's not a guy who really wows you with his numbers last year at all. But he's going to play a lot in that offense with a good quarterback. Matt Ryan's going to throw a lot of touchdowns. That's the upside there. What uh, what did you see when you watched him? What I saw was that w- was when Jacob Tammy got hurt. That's, you know, he, he like ruined his shoulder and then in comes Hooper as the main guy. And what I saw was they really wanted him to be Tammy right away. They wanted to throw him sort of complicated routes and make him a lot of primary reads on some plays. And mostly it didn't work out. I remember a couple of times where the ball hits him in the helmet. <laughs> like he just kind of, his head wouldn't be turned or what. He just wasn't really ready. And uh, the numbers were 
like okay thereafter but it was mostly safety valve stuff where you're not you're the third option on this play stand over there and if my first two guys are covered i'll do a little outlet to you and you get seven yards and we'll all be good and you know that if that was his usage to me that's the kyle rudolph usage and i would be less interested so i haven't seen it yet yeah that touchdown uh against he he I think someone was on my show. It might have been um, Matt Williamson was on my show Monday and said uh, that he was the most targeted receiver in the Super Bowl of any Falcons receiver, which I didn't realize. I do remember the touchdown. Pat Chung interfered with him, and he still caught it anyway. And uh, my my answer for why Austin Hooper was the most targeted tight end tar- targeted receiver in the Super Bowl for the Falcons is Pat Chung was covering him. <laughs> That's a good plan. You can't really do that very well. Uh, so it's a, you're right. It's a great situation. Um, in the Almanac, I gave everyone, in addition to film grades, so like I would grade speed, elusiveness, power, all that stuff, give A through F for all of those. I also gave a grade to everybody for situation, which is everything, not them. You know, like what the what's the team, what's the quarterback, what's the offensive line, blah, blah, blah. And for the tight ends, I think I gave four A grades. And for situation, and three of them are in the top five, and one of them is Austin Hooper. You nailed it. It should be a really good offense again. Hopefully, they don't t- they don't turn into what the Panthers did after their big offensive year. I have a tendency to think they won't. So it's a really good situation, and a kid who was never known as an awesome athlete, but a better athlete than he showed last year. I'm pretty hopeful. Another one where if I wait, I'm pretty cool. I can. Imagine getting starter production out of him. And again, I'll drop him if I don't. Uh, I don't feel like I have to have to have to get him. And he hasn't shown as much on film yet as Henry. But no question, he has a much clearer uh, path to playing time. And that's it. That's all the time we have for the 11th and final chapter of the 2017 Draft Strategy Series on 444 Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. Chris, thanks so, so much for uh, for coming on today. You got it saved, clearly saved the worst for last, (laughs) the wordiest for last. (laughs) Oh, no, not at all. I appreciate you coming on. Christopher Harris at harrisfootball.com or at harrisfootball on Twitter, harrisfootball.com. You could uh, be sure to check out his 2017 player profile uh, almanac. Uh, He's updating it tonight. So if you want the latest and greatest from Chris Harris, um, look, look tomorrow for that, uh, for that updated copy of the, uh, the profile, uh, almanac. So, uh, we'll see you next time on 444 Fantasy Football's most accurate podcast.